0: I'll get out of here Homer Homer who is Homer my name is guy incognito
1: hi and welcome to mostly privacy a podcast about privacy law pop culture and anything else we feel like talking about my name is Meg Eason and with me is my co-host John Harmon hey John how you doing
0: I'm doing well how are you
1: I'm good all right, we started out the show with a, a little clip from The Simpsons. John, you're our resident Simpsons expert. What, uh, what episode was that?
0: That specific episode is Fear of Flying from the Emmy award-winning season six. A uh, fantastic season overall. Saw the return of uh, classic writers Bill Oakley and John Weinstein. Excuse me, Joshua Weinstein did a, did a fantastic job throughout the season. Opens with Part of Darkness, which is a parody of Hitchcock's Rear Window, and closes on the slightly gimmicky but still very wonderful "Who Shot Mr. Burns?" The episode we're talking about today, I believe, comes from the middle of the season, and is a story about March.
1: Okay, so obviously you know a lot about The Simpsons, but what does that little clip we played at the top have to do with what we're talking about today in privacy law?
0: Well, the reason we're here today is because there is a lawsuit against Google and involves the use of its incognito browser.
1: All right. Well, thank you for uh, bringing everyone up to speed with the Simpsons reference. We are talking about Brown versus Google, which is a five billion dollar lawsuit filed against Google as a class action based on the allegation that Google continues to track users during their uh, activity in incognito mode. And we all wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what you mean.
0: What do we mean? (laughs)
1: I'll throw in a sound clip later to explain it.
0: (laughs) Now what I mean? Now what I mean? Nudge, nudge. Now what I mean? Say no more.
1: So when you log online to incognito mode, what is the expectation that people have? Do people really think that they are not being tracked? And if so, why? This lawsuit alleges that um, customers have a reasonable expectation that their private behavior during incognito mode would not be shared with Google. And that Google has created that expectation using language Uh, in their terms of service and in their privacy policies that imply that users can control what information they share with Google by going into private mode.
0: Which makes a lot of sense. When you think about privacy, you see yourself searching the web and what I think most people would think is complete anonymity.
1: (laughs) I detect a note of sarcasm. Well, I think when we
0: live in this space as much as we do and you have some idea how the internet works, Um, it's difficult to have that full expectation. But when you use words or phrases such as, you're in control, or use the term incognito or private browsing mode, like Mozilla Firefox, I, I think the ordinary person would have that expectation.
1: Right. So just to be clear for those who don't know, when you go into incognito mode in Chrome, it doesn't save cookies or temporary internet files or your browsing history, which the most basic outcome of this is that your searches won't show up on your device. So if you share a device with others, no one's going to see the search history you don't want them to see. And you probably shouldn't be receiving ads targeted to you based on behaviors you engage in while you're in incognito mode. So you shouldn't be getting ads for mail enhancement later on when you're in your work computer, uh, but logged into your Google account. But it does not render your activity invisible to the sites you visit, your ISPs, or anybody who's kind of controlling access to your network, like your school or your employer.
0: Something to always keep in mind.
1: So the allegation in the complaint is that Google continues to track you even when you're in private mode, and that it does this because the sites that you are visiting – have Google Ad Manager or Google Analytics embedded in them. So Google Ad Manager and Google Analytics are two Google software programs that publishers use to manage website traffic and deliver ads. About 70% of publishing websites use these two tools. They are pretty much central in the ecosystem. And a lot of the information about your browsing behavior is being transmitted through those services, even when you're in incognito mode.
0: That, that's where the problem, I think, a lot of people, or at least if you take a step back from this and look at it as I think both you and I believe, a lot of this suit is based on sensationalism. It's, it's really difficult to browse the internet privately. I mean, some browsers offer private browsing, but they all come with some type of but I would consider pretty clear notice that explains why it doesn't completely guarantee privacy.
1: Right, I agree. When you open up your incognito browser in Chrome, the first thing you see is that gray screen with the guy with the hat and glasses, but it says specifically which things will still be tracked, what are not going to be uh, hidden from others, and that includes you know, the sites that you visit will still be able to collect information from you. Now, I think that the the argument that the complaint is making is that users don't have a way to know for sure that the website they're visiting is not only collecting that data, but also passing it back to Google, that they don't have a way of really ever removing their data from the Google ecosystem.
0: Can't they just use the, do not sell my personal information from the CCPA?
1: <laughs> That's a great question, but that that takes us down a whole other route. But uh, yeah, let's let's look at that. I mean, part of the reason that Google can get away with this, and by the way, I definitely think this is a loser of a lawsuit, uh, which makes me sad because I wanted my five thousand um, dollars. Five thousand dollars, you know? Yeah, it's five billion dollars for the class, and I guess that's what five thousand dollars for each of us.
0: Sounds great to me.
1: I think the question is whether or not there's been adequate notice given in the terms of service. Because not only do you have that little pop-up when you go into incognito mode, you also have the privacy policies of the actual websites that are using these Google plugins, analytics and ad manager, um, and that they are responsible for letting you know. So you've had notice on a couple of different fronts. That's the argument or the defense, which is almost certainly going to hold up in court because we live in a click wrap and browse app society, for better or worse.
0: Absolutely. And it has worked in the past. We have a fairly clear precedent set that these types of defenses will work. And while I appreciate the plaintiffs throwing everything at it, We've seen very similar strategies in the past, and I'm not really sure they've worked.
1: Right. So speaking of throwing everything at it, what we've got here are four different counts. We've got the Wiretap Act, which is federal law, California Invasion of Privacy Act, which is sort of the Wiretap version California, California Constitutional Right to Privacy, and the tort of inclusion upon intrusion upon seclusion and inclusion of intrusion upon seclusion in my conclusion. You're welcome.
0: Well done. I think that's straight out of the uh, restate.
1: A lot of the argument here uh, comes from the idea that obviously it's communicating information over wire. It's being intercepted and reused. So Google is reusing this data to improve its products and to market more effectively. um, And that this is confidential communication, that there is an expectation of confidentiality based on the status of incognito money. Yeah,
0: and, and I think that makes a lot of sense from where they're at least trying to expand this. I mean, there's always all sorts of reasons for any plaintiff to file a suit. and But if you're just looking to win on the merits, I, I'm not certain that some of these are going to fly. If you take a look at the, uh, let's say the Wiretap Act, and at least from the federal perspective, you're really kind of talking about the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, which, has the amendments to the wiretap act created the stored communications act and pin register act. But does it really meet all the necessary elements? I don't think it does. You look at something like intrusion upon seclusion, which you know is a lot of fun because we get to go back to the restatement, but are we really talking about intentionally invading private affairs and being offensive to a reasonable person? I don't think so again.
1: yeah, I mean, I think the the offensiveness to a reasonable person argument is really the kind of the crux of this. This is a moral outrage case. It reminds me of all the all the YouTube bloggers who sue uh, Google for section two thirty compliant takedowns, the deplatforming. It's there's so much precedent that proves you're not going to win this. So it kind of makes you wonder like, what's the point? Is this just sort of a standing on your moral soapbox? And how did you get an attorney to decide? That to also, you
0: start thinking about things like private right of actions, and this is these are the type of things that the behaviors from plaintiffs that do scare companies. And while I think there's a lot of value in a private right of action to kind of move the uh, the needle, or at the very least the Overton window, I, I think that it becomes difficult when you do see the hodgepodge of laws and everything else, which you know maybe speaks more to the need for a federal privacy law more than anything else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things that people take for granted in these situations is that when they go up against Google, not only is Google going to win in most cases, but where they can't win they're going to push the liability downwards so in the same way that the websites you visit are responsible for providing you with a privacy notice that discloses that they're going to share information with third-party processors like google although technically google is a controller in both of those that's a that's a whole other conversation Um, for both of those services google's a controller but essentially google gets to dictate the terms under which websites use their products and services and Google gets to be the one to say you have to give adequate notice. So even if this lawsuit were to somehow magically actually stick to Google, most likely Google is just going to find a way to pass more responsibility onto the publishers making it Which harder is for websites. To
0: great get. if it's because it saves us time from having to draft new agreements. But it also does make it very difficult when you're really not the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and most organizations are not when it comes to these big tech players. Everybody else is just kind of living in their world.
1: Yeah. And I, I think what this really comes down to is a general understanding that our current standards of notice and consent for basically all use of the internet is kind of shady. It's who has the time to read all of Google's privacy policy and terms of service, and then also read the website you are visiting in incognito mode's terms of service and policy, because we all know you're on incognito mode because you're really looking to read some privacy policy language.
0: That and to make sure your cookie banners are working.
1: Well, that's definitely super important. There's probably Um,
0: some adult stuff there too, but mostly to see if your cookie banners are working.
1: Yeah. got to get those cookies, cookies and milk or MILF, depending on why you're in incognito (laughs) mode. Uh, So yeah, I think there's, you know, there's obviously plenty of defenses. The case isn't going to hold any water. And it really comes down to the question of whether or not we need better tools for providing notice and consent. And I think it's interesting that Google has done a really good job of trying to make plain language terms of service so that it complies with the GDPR's layered notice requirements and so that readers can understand more or less what's being done. You have to drill down to get more information. That's the whole idea of a layered notice. But in doing so, they may have oversimplified and misled users. But the big question is why would this really need to be a private right of action thing? If this is a, if they're was genuinely a misleading privacy statement. Shouldn't that go to the FTC under Section 5?
0: And that's exactly where I think this thing should end up. Um, Under Section 5 of the FTC Act and relevant applicable state laws, which generally are referred to as UDAPs, they prohibit unfair deceptive acts or practices. And applies to really all persons. An unfair act is one that causes injury to consumers. It can't be avoided. There's a balancing test in there. Deceptive acts are really fraudulent, deceptive in the common sense of the word. There's some type of representation, omission, where a consumer's interpretation is pretty reasonable. and that really kind of that representation or omission is considered material. And this is usually, in when it comes down to privacy policy, terms of service, this is really where you see the FTC act and have seen them act for the last decade.
1: Right. So I guess they're going with the wiretap and the California invasion of privacy, because that one has private rights of action, uh, as compared to like sitting on your thumbs and waiting for the FTC to actually figure out like, mm, I should maybe do something about this. But ultimately, I think the California invasion of privacy act claim at least it's such a stretch because it's so very clearly a, a telephone wiretap kind of law. And the only time I've, I've recently seen the Wiretap Act be used is with, with more sort of insidious forms of direct hacking and interception. The idea that intercepting the contents of a website URL request or queries is enough to constitute you know, interception of electronic communication is a little bit of a stretch.
0: I completely agree. And those cases end up taking a really security or InfoSec-centric analysis anyway, and I don't think that is really what they're going for here.
1: Yeah, again, I think this is just uh, standing on the moral soapbox, and there's no demonstrable harm. They did a a decent, well, they did a half-hearted job of trying to add in a little bit of idea of lost monetary compensation for the value of the data being collected by Google, which in and of itself raises a myriad of questions about whether data privacy is a fundamental human right or a property right, neither here nor there. I don't think they've proven any real harm. I don't think that they violated any, they haven't demonstrated that there's any real violation of law. It's just a lot of moral outrage. And even if it is justifiable and well-placed moral outrage, it seems like kind of a publicity stunt.
0: And and I think there's a lot of that too. I mean, I do fully understand why you bring something in California, the various tech giants, I understand why you bring it against Google, one of the biggest players on the market. And I think there is an actual legal reason that you bring it in California. I mean, they do have an enumerated right of privacy. they have had that since 1972. So it does make a lot of sense. It's not something that we have articulated in a lot of other statutory elements. But at the same time, I I, I don't know where this is going. I I appreciate that they're bringing privacy to the forefront, but at the same time, I really think the area that we're going to see the most push is surprisingly coming out of the state of Illinois.
1: Oh yeah. With biometrics for sure. And I think that that's, I think that's a lot more, a lot more meaningful in this time. I mean, obviously, the the idea of Google collecting a lot of information and creating profiles is, is really disconcerting on some levels, but I think people have a lot more justifiable acute anxiety around some of the biometric tracking that's being done by other actors right now. And uh, I think it's going to be a little bit hard in this particular era to get people concerned about who's tracking them in private mode when they're concerned about whether or not the police is going to track them for participating in a protest.
0: Absolutely. Um, And I I think, you know, one of my big things is training. And it's really difficult to explain to someone, one, how the internet works between your headers and your footers and your browser fingerprinting and your cookie syncing. But it's pretty easy to understand someone having pictures of you that you've published or somebody else has published about you and to use that in a negative way. Everybody can make that connection very easily and understand the potential violations that can come from that.
1: Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe as we uh, start seeing more legislation coming out of D.C., uh, specifically related to the kind of tracking we're, we're running across with uh, both Clearview AI and other facial recognition technologies and with contact tracing, there's a the possibility that some of those more pressing legislative efforts will end up sweeping up some of Google's other activities underneath them. And, and that's probably the best we can hope for right now. But it sounds like our next episode should definitely about be about biometrics.
0: I completely agree. When we are recording this right now, so many things are going on in the world that really touch on this idea of biometrics, information gathering, web scraping, extremely interesting stuff, extremely relevant stuff.
1: All right, well, I think that wraps us up for this episode, Guy Incognito, Fear of Spying. Uh, why don't you take us out with your favorite line? Well, a line's pretty specific. Why don't you take us out with your favorite episode from season six, what would you say would be your favorite?
0: I think uh, that's probably going to be, I believe it was the fifth episode from the season, Sideshow Bob Roberts, another Oakley and Weinstein classic involving uh, Sideshow Bob being released from prison. Um, Gets in actually a lot of political stuff that somehow is extremely relevant today. But any any time that uh, Kelsey Grammer and Larry King and Dr. Demento and Phil Hartman get to be in one episode, it's a fantastic, enjoying show.
1: That that sounds amazing. I think my favorite sideshow, Bob, was definitely uh, the the Cape Fear (laughs) uh, episode where where he sings the entirety of the HMS pinafore. Amazing. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. And we'll be back uh, sometime in the next two weeks to talk about some biometric stuff. John, thanks Thank for you. joining me. never,
0: no, never, But never,
1: hardly ever, he's hardly, hardly ever ever
0: sick, sick at sea. For he himself
1: has said it, and it's clearly to him.